0: Thank you for being here at the Don't Get Hurt Twice podcast. My name is Jay Chad Parker. I'm a personal injury trial lawyer. I've been practicing almost 30 years and I'm board certified in personal injury trial law. Uh, This podcast today is going to seek to address the issues uh, specific to people that get injured in the oil field. Uh, It should be a given to most people, but all lawyers are not uh, as qualified as others to represent people in the oil field. Um, they don't know anything about the processes. They don't know anything about the obligations of the companies, the operator, um, their own uh, employer. And if you don't know kind of the rules of the road, it's tough to make a case or at least have a good outcome. Um, oftentimes, there's a dispute between who's in control. Uh, uh, the right of control is an operative word and not only in Texas case law as it relates to oilfield accidents, but also, uh, in master service agreements, uh, IEDC contracts, and it, and it really shifts the liability to the one that was, quote, exercising control or in control. And that generally, uh, the better a lawyer is in the oil field at knowing what can and can't prove that someone else was actually in control leads to a good outcome. It leads me to a story, a story of a guy represented, and I'm, I'm sad to say that uh, I found out about six months ago that he would committed suicide. He uh, he had uh, he had been over uh in Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, he was a relatively young guy; He was in his thirties. Uh, he worked for a uh, oil field service company. He was uh, it was a, a snubbing unit that he worked on, uh, which was workover rig, and in an operation uh, where uh, this is sometimes they call it a sim ops simultaneous operations. Two companies are working together. So, each one is in control of doing something. Now, somebody can get hurt, and then the argument becomes, hey, who was in control? Uh, Anyway, in this case, there was uh, somebody else in charge of equipment that ultimately led to him having a finger taken off. Now, uh, he had a workers' comp claim, and thankfully for him, he saw a few doctors along the way, but there's really not much you can do about an amputated index finger, right? I mean, it's gone. It's sewed up. The infection is passed, if there was any. And you just go forward, and you've got some uh, disfigurement and some impairment there. But, uh, hey, he's not the first guy you might see in the oil field that's missing a pinky or an or index finger or a finger missing, right? I mean, those guys, those are tough guys. I mean, you don't often think, hey, I'm missing a finger. I can't work ever again. That's not that's not where this story goes. You know, you a good lawyer also – has a good grasp on medical issues as well. In this case, his workers' comp doctors had seen him, and uh, he had developed chronic regional pain syndrome, or at least we could make that allegation because it was in the records. But liability was the biggest hurdle, and, and that was the thing. It was how could we prove that the the what, what you would normally think is the driller but is oftentimes called an operator who was running the workover rig. Uh, they were picking up pipe. Um, who, who, who was at fault? Well, ultimately, because of my knowledge uh, of the oil field, I think I could make the better arguments, write demands, cause the insurance company to question and ultimately pay, you know, not what I demanded, of course, but ultimately the settlement, you know, went from, uh, went to $1.15 million. That was the settlement. Now, to ram home the point I'm trying to make, do you know I was the fifth lawyer that this gentleman came to see? The fifth. Now, you go. What in the world? How how did four other lawyers not see a 1.15 million dollar settlement? Well, they gave up on liability. They knew the guy had a missing finger, right? It was obvious in the meetings. They knew his medical records said chronic regional pain syndrome. If they were paying attention, Uh, because a lot of times in workers' comp records they don't try to lay it out there; they kind of hide it, and so they used initials like C. R P S. They didn't spell it out, but anyway, no, the other lawyers gave up on liability. They thought, Oh my God, I mean, I'm going to have to prove liability. I might have to get an expert, pay an expert. You know uh, it looks like it was his employer's fault because he was in the basket with them and you know, his hand got pinched. He should have just kept his hand out of the way and they rationalized four lawyers prior to me. I say that's a prime example of, you know, Picking up the crumbs. That is, other lawyers discard good cases, which for people that really need help every day that don't think there's anything there because they think it's not worth the risk. I'm telling you, that's a prime example of how one person, finally, me, who had worked for oil and gas companies as their defense lawyer for 20 years, saw in it enough to put money into it, time and effort, and it paid off. And who did benefit? the injured worker, the oil field worker that sometimes has to go around trusting this lawyer or this lawyer knows what they're doing and they have no idea. And so for the oil field workers who uh, have been hurt, you either had a good experience, a so-so experience or a terrible experience. If we visited, I, I could only imagine what you would say about what you thought your lawyer's knowledge level was of the oil field and how that hurt the case, because maybe the other side had superior knowledge, that is the defense lawyer, and where that comes into play is when you are being asked questions by the other lawyer. How can I prepare you for a deposition as your lawyer if I don't even know the questions to ask? If I don't even understand the process that you were involved in, the equipment that was being used, and how, it is, how you run it, to determine who's at fault and who might not be or who probably was. I mean, it makes perfect sense. And I think the public uh, and maybe oilfield field workers uh, in general think, well, you know, anybody's a lawyer. It doesn't matter if you're a board certified lawyer at this point. You've got to go a step further and find out, well, I know they're board certified, but have they ever handled any oil and gas accidents before? And if so, were they just simply, you know, trucking companies that were hauling oil field pipe? uh you know was a piece of pipe rolled off on a guy or was there a blowout you know when somebody says um you know the well took a kick does your lawyer know what that means when somebody says hey we nippled up the BOPs do they know what that means if somebody mentioned the word hey we were flowing the well back and this happened would would they even know what they're talking about okay uh you know uh, depending on the kind of well uh, people that are listening that have any kind of uh you know uh, history in the oil field, they understand, you know, depends on the type of well. I mean, there's artificial lift, you know, there's which would have, you know, uh, there would be product in the tubing and there could be annular gas. Uh, and there are issues, um you know, that have to be dealt with. Most of the time with those, it's a workover. It's a workover rig. It goes back out there. You know, there's holes in the tubing or there's some other issue of maintenance. The pump's not working. Things. Have to be done. And of course, it's the operator's well that is the owner. You know, let's just use uh, an operator uh, in no particular order or not related to anything. Let's just say many people have heard of Chesapeake, for instance. They had a lot of gas wells, you know, uh, spent a lot of time uh, buying up leases, you know, in the state of Texas over the last several years, uh, leading up to, you know, kind of the decline we're in now. Anyway, that's an operator. They hold the title, okay? They own the minerals under the ground. They have leased them from different landowners, different mineral owners that have owned them, and they may have leased them at different levels, that is, at formation levels. Hey, they leased, you know, 500 to 6,000, but they didn't have 6,000 to 8,000 or whatever. And as you well know, you know, there's geology that's done um, and, uh, you know, surveys that are taken down hole. And a decision is made to do things like shoot perfs, which, you know, means perforations. And and, and it comes from guns, which aren't guns, but they're wireline guns. And, you know, that opens up the formation um, and allows, you know, uh, oil and gas to flow to the wellbore. You know, and there are just issues about understanding that and how that contributes to pressure in the hole, uh, above hole, potentially, kicks, migrating gas. Things of that nature that it's one thing to pretend like you understand, okay, I know there was a blowout a guy got hurt. It's yet another to be able to explain the mechanics of how that happened because of something that somebody did or did not do. for instance, hey, you should have put some fluid on the hole. I mean uh, what 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 the world I mean you hadn't put any you put you know thirty barrels on it, and it was we had some delays along the way, and then you know it's six hours later and no fluid's been put on the hole and boom, there's a kick, you know? And then if there's a kick, then everybody knows in the oil field uh, that that's bad because uh, the next thing that happens, uh, unfortunately, in, mo- in a lot of circumstances, is that kick ignites and then you've got to blow out and you've got to fire. And so then there's metal everywhere, static electricity. There's many ways in which uh, a kick can turn into, a, you know, an explosion. Um, but that's just an example uh you know a lot of injuries uh like you say or like you probably know are different you know back injuries uh fingers uh many of the things that are covered in uh you know the j s a s that are done before the job starts you know watch your pinch points, this that and the other keep your hand off the wire line um, you know those type of things but the serious injuries where it really matters that is where somebody's seriously injured or killed i mean just somebody with you know um you know, uh, knowledge of the oil field that they picked it up in a book at the bookstore called, you know, oil field, uh, knowledge for dummies is not, is not the lawyer that you want to handle this kind of case. I mean, you're talking about the difference between demanding, you know, a million versus millions and being able to prove it and making them afraid that you can expose, uh, what happened and shouldn't have happened and how it was negligent or even grossly negligent, and, and obviously the second element of that is is a lawyer that's got enough skill to prove up all your damages in a way that they can present it to the jury and maximize your chances once the jury hears your case and whatever those facts are in returning a verdict to you that's fair for you and your family um, you know the oil field is unique there are certain pressures uh that is uh you know there's this pretend um Openness that everybody's in charge of safety. I mean, and you guys who are listening, you know what I'm talking about. Anybody can shut down the job in the new oil field, okay? That is the stated policy of the entire oil field. And coincidentally, it spreads all of the blame onto you and your company and not them because, hey, you should have shut the job down, right? That's what they say. But at the same time, everybody knows you refuse to do something. They're going to walk you off the job in many instances and have. And that's, that's an unspoken rule underneath the spoken rule of anybody can shut down the oil field. Uh, anybody can shut down the job in the new oil field. So your employer has workers comp most of the time and doesn't want to claim either. The operator doesn't want any type of lost time accident on their location. Your employer doesn't want to have any accidents on their record because it affects their ability in a kind of computer algorithm that ranks companies as far as hiring and they think it might hurt them. So everybody's against you accidentally if you get hurt. Your employer doesn't want you to file a claim. Your employer doesn't want to blame the operator if they were exercising the right of control that caused you to be hurt because they're afraid they might lose work. And certainly the operator doesn't want to um, accept responsibility and say, oh, I'm sorry, we shouldn't have done that. To top it all off, the contract that your company entered into with the operator most likely says if your employees get hurt, then your, their insurance company, that is your employers, will uh, defend the lawsuit and pay the damages with the insurance that they were required to carry because the operator said you had to have this in your contract if you want to work for us. So I call that the blame game in the oil field. That's, that's the game that gets played when somebody gets hurt, um, you know, and most often all the fingers end up getting pointed at you. The guy that gets hurt obviously is doing something or a part of a process that results in his injury. And so whatever that is, everybody can say, well, hey, you shouldn't, you shouldn't have been doing that, or you shouldn't have done that as fast, or you should have been more careful. It doesn't matter uh, if they were running the rig too fast, it doesn't matter uh, if they should have been working a lot slower, it doesn't matter if they should have shut down because it was it was getting too dark and and, and nobody could really see. So, you know, there are recommended practices in the oil field. That is, they're copyrighted. Essentially, uh, they're not regulations, but they're recommended practices. But they carry the weight of, you know, what's customary in the oil field. Okay, and uh, they they emanate from. Um, API, okay, American Petroleum Institute, and so you know some lawyers don't even know they're out there, uh, and oftentimes they lay out the process that should be followed in an operation. And of course, if there's a deviation by a company, I mean, it's almost like a a checklist for how to prove what they did wrong by their own regulations of a group, an organization that they're a member of. And so, you know, that cuts down if your lawyer has that kind of knowledge like I do. Oftentimes, I don't hire an expert right off the bat. Uh, I mean, I gather the information, look at it myself, start to think about what am I seeing. Then the experts use later on, if I need one, um, in order to answer questions I have, fill in gaps, maybe instruct me on some technical things that I don't quite understand in a way that I can, you know, ask questions better of their witnesses. And what I've done for the, the oil field worker is I don't have $100,000 in expenses in an expert before we get to the depositions um, because that money comes out of your money. And then, you know, most people when they settle up, they never think to question their lawyer, like, hey, why do we have all these expenses? Well, the, the short answer is, um, well, um, the lawyer should be able to explain why that expert was retained when it was and how this benefits, you know, the overall. In many instances, uh, people have just accepted that that's a level of, you know, uh, the learning curve that they're going to learn on you. Okay. So, uh, the reason I'm saying and have been a board certified personal injury trial lawyer doesn't mean a thing right now, other than they could try the case and do a good job. Maybe. Uh, the other thing is, uh, you know, their competency or proficiency saves and potentially saves a lot of money on expert fees that might have been completely unnecessary in the first place. Imagine somebody who knows what they're talking about. They get all the records, you know, you finished treating, you've recovered, you know, whatever happened to you, you've got a certain amount of medical bills, you lost wage for a certain amount of time. Maybe you've lost some uh, function in your in maybe your knee your shoulder or something, you know, had a surgery and you might need another one in the future and we've allocated for all that and got a doctor issue a report or whatever. Well, I make a demand, uh in two ways. I have a liability paragraph where I start with, and I have medical injury slash damages of you. In the liability, let's say I know what I'm talking about, and I lay out exactly what happened, uh, why it happened, why it shouldn't have happened, and who was at fault, and what recommended practice or other, uh, you know, standard was violated in, in clear and uncertain terms. Versus somebody else who just simply says in the liability paragraph, my client was hurt, due to your actions. And that's all they say. Which one of you, I mean, which one of those do you think is going to get serious consideration for a settlement either prior to litigation or after litigation before it gets too deep? I mean, I suggest to you, it's probably going to be the one where they look at uh, the lawyer that has explained that he or she has knowledge of the process and the oil and gas industry in general, and probably give them a little bit more credibility, which will likely be reflected in the offers. Um, also, you know, 15 plus years of my career, uh, one of my primary clients, uh, was an oil and gas division of a, of a national insurance company. And since I worked in Texas, I mean, the cases that I got from them were all oil field related accidents. That means everybody in that case was hurt in the oil field, not in a car wreck, Not this, but hurt in the oil field. And through that, what I did was I represented operators, people that owned the well, and hired the company men. Company men who were hired by the operator and classified as independent contractors, but generally were completely controlled uh, because the operator had, um, you know, uh, originated the well uh, prognosis of the well plan that they had to follow. Um, You know, and then service contractors would be everybody from the uh, the drilling contractor, if they were drilling a new well, uh, workover crew, if they were coming out to do maintenance or something else, and and all the other subcontractors, whether it be wireline, directional drilling, uh, or what have you, that would come out there and all inter- interact in, you know, what the oil field refers to as SIM ops, simultaneous operations. When, when things arguably can be the most dangerous, and when the blame game that I talked about uh, potentially becomes, you know, uh, the most likely for you, but anyway, so, um, with all that as a backdrop, um, you could quickly talk to me, talk to another lawyer, talk to a person that works in the oil field, and you could tell pretty quick. If you just ask some questions, what do they know and what don't they know? Cause you can, you can bet this anytime a lawyer says or hears, Hey, this is an oilfield case. They're thinking, okay, like a trucking case, they have to have bigger limits. This is a better case. I'm going to make a better fee, right? Well, here's how they may make that fee if you don't watch out. They sign you up and then they refer you out to somebody like me or somebody else, okay? Now, why even sign up with them? You know how you avoid that? If you're hurt in oil field, you're always going to be hurt. It's not like you got to sign up in the next two minutes or the next three days. Otherwise, you're, you're lost. Like I told you about my client. He got to me after four lawyers, okay? It was months before he got to me. So don't worry about that. You know what happened to you. You know what operation you were working on. You know what company you work for and what they were doing. You know what your instructions were and what type of work was being done. You know all of that. Your lawyer should be able to talk with you in a way, if you ask some of the questions and provide him some of the information that alerts you that this person knows very little, if anything, about what you're talking about. And that should be the first uh, clue that this person may not be the best lawyer, even though they may be a great one. It may not be the best lawyer for you in this circumstance. Um, you know, I've worked on so many different cases um, involving the oil field, some um you know, some sad cases, some some really bad cases, but, you know, the processes a lot of times are very similar to what happens. It's just, you know, well conditions change. People do dumb things and and that changes. And so, you know, uh, a good working knowledge of the oil field, you know, drilling and production, right? I mean, you know, you, you drill the hole, that's a hole you know, that's a set of contractors uh and objectives in order to get the hole drilled. I mean, that's you know, you start out and you spud the well, and then after you built the location, and then here you go, right? And then um if there's a decision to frack the well, of course, you know, the drilling rig's gone and uh and then they come frack the well. Uh and then once they frack the well, the well is is ready to be produced, okay? And, you know, I mentioned flowback earlier. I mean, obviously, after they frack the well, they're going to have to flow back the frack fluid to get it out of there, okay? I mean, there's technology that's evolving. They used to pump gel, uh, you know, that they referred to as gel breakers. It, it would go down there uh, and they'd pump it as gel, and it would get in the formation and maybe open the formation a little bit more. And then, after time, the heat combination, the gel would break, it turned to water, and they'd flow it back out. And there's all these things, which leads to the production of the well. The well gets on production which means it's making oil or making gas or making a combination of both. Uh, that that amount is being stored in tanks, separated. You've heard of a separator, being separated into tanks. And in then 18-wheelers, come and pick up the condensate in one and the oil, crude oil in the other, if that's what it is. And then that well produces, produces, and then it may have to be worked on. And then, you know, the workover comes into play. And so the process, uh, in order to tell a story, to tell your story, I'm saying you've got to know something about it. Um, I hope you field workers specifically that have been in an accident now or in the future hear what I say, ask these questions when you're hiring a lawyer, no matter where you are, uh, and at the end of the day, that leads to you not being heard twice. Thanks.